Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Navigating History podcast um, and our season on our inaugural season on Alexander the Great. Uh, this episode is going to be covering uh, the Battle of Guagamela, which is the uh, mili- primary military conflict that followed uh, directly from the Battle of Issus. And uh, this battle can really be summed up in three, in five words. Persians learn, but still lose. Because, as you'll see throughout this episode, everything that happens throughout the lead-up to this battle, and even the, in the battle itself, the Persians sort of learned from everything that had happened at the Battle of the Granicus River and the Battle of Issus, but they unfortunately weren't able to, they still didn't win. Uh, you know, Alexander's ta- tactical, um, you know, and strategic strategic mind won out and the way that and, and the way that this battle unfolded really solidifies alexander as one of the great military commanders of of not just antiquity but pretty much of all time uh you know throughout all of history that we've that we've studied um you know because you know as i mentioned in the first episode of the season the battle of granicus alex alexander was very much not who he, uh, you know, very much was not um, as as tactically, you know, he, he wasn't very tactically sophisticated. But but by this point, he's, you know, not only is he a few years older than he was, obviously, when this happened, and a little bit more experienced, but he's been on campaign. He's experienced what the in, ins and outs of battle are. So he knows, okay, this is going to work or this isn't. And he's much less rash uh much more much much more um i almost want to say caesarian even though alexander is before it comes before caesar but he's he's so focused on the little things the details he's so detailed in his planning as you'll see later in this episode he is he is so focused on every single aspect of his army and everything that they need to succeed now, the the overall battle sort of begins pretty much directly following the Battle of Issus, um, where King the, the Persian king Darius the Third or Darius, uh, as as I've heard people uh, tell me that I should pronounce it so, Darius the Third. Uh, he very much, he, you know, he, he's if you remember from last week, Darius left between with his tail between his legs. You know, he 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 fled the, the battlefield at Issus. Uh, under Alexander's pursuit, and he was very, you know, he was humbled. Um, and you know, what do a lot of really strong, powerful people do when they when they feel humbled by another strong, powerful person? They strike out with bravado, uh, which is exactly what, um, which is exactly what Darius did uh, in the letter that he sent to Alexander immediately after the Battle of Issus. Uh, in fact, one of the things I forgot to mention on last week's episode was that. This was a significant battle for Alexander, not just because of the it solidified his power, but because he he captured um, Darius's wife and his and and his daughters at the Battle of Issus. So Darius is obviously smarting from the battle, and he's lost his wife and his his family. And instead of you know, he doesn't show any humility, and very much is focused on 
you know, I'm still the king of Persia. I'm still powerful. We still have the greater numbers. We're still, right? And he's not wrong that he does have power and that he is a very powerful figure in the, in, in the, you know, in, in this world. Uh, but he, he goes about this completely wrong from my perspective here. You know, he, the first letter that he sends to Alexander, in fact, he sends three um, throughout the next few years leading up to the Battle of Guagamela. But the first one is very much, hey, give me all my, give me my people back and also leave. And now you, you have a chance to, you know, withdraw from, withdraw from Persia and leave and sort of leave me alone. Uh, you know, and, and never come back kind of thing. Like very much get out of here and give me my stuff back. Very, you know, again, filled with bravado and uh, and like force and you will do what I say because I say it. Very much a, what a king would say to one of his subjects or, you know, somebody who he, he considers lesser than. Although, and Alexander, of course, being Alexander, being somewhat of a, you know, a having a, a being high on confidence, and B you know being very like focused himself and being very like powerful in his own right and thinking a lot of himself, uh, you know doesn't even respond initially. Uh, instead, just sort of continues along with his his conquest uh, he, in uh, in Persia in Asia Minor. And one of the things that I mentioned last week, but sort of really happened after the Battle of Issus was Alexander was able to, you know, launch his campaign against the rest of the, the Persian Empire, right? Um, you know, he, he was he was very much, uh, you know, the, the, the rising power in, in Asia Minor at this point. And in fact, uh, once he had gone, um, you know, he, he had, once, once he'd won at Issus, he had control over all of Southern Asia. Which is, you know, a big freaking deal. In fact, the next thing that Alexander did was he marched to the city of uh, Tyre or Tyre and and laid it to siege. Uh, and you know, person, you know, there may be some of you thinking, oh, why aren't you covering this? Because it's technically a military engagement or, or whatever. Well, you know, but sieges very little happens during a siege that is sort of worthy of note. It's sort of like, oh yeah, this dude laid siege to the thing and then eventually he either won or left. That's how sieges work. Um, you know, it's, to me, uh, there's there's a few sieges throughout history that are very interesting because they, but again, uh, you know, there are a few sieges throughout history that are very interesting because they have this, they have, asked, you know, they have important details or character moments for for historical figures and you know things happen obviously things happen and it's, it is important to mention but um it's not as decisive or as crucial as what happens you know in the battle of guagamela in my opinion but alexander laid siege to uh, the city of tyre and eventually broke the siege after a few months that's the other thing is sieges take you know months of time he started the siege in january and it ended in july of uh, uh 3.30 in july of uh, 3.30 bc and he or 332 BC, my, my apologies. Um, eventually, and this gave Alexander, you know, again, a very strong control. You know, he gave him a lot of control over the Achaemenid Empire, uh, and and over the Persian over the Persian Empire and over Asia Minor as a whole. In fact, the next thing he did after capturing Tyre or Tyre was to march into Egypt 
and the um uh, you know the 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 king in or the king the uh persian satrap in egypt sort of surrendered to alexander claiming him making claiming him to be the king because you know they sort of realized all right we're not exactly super loyal to darius and the persians but um you know and we're realizing that Alexander is the rising power in this part of the world. He is on the he's on the ascendancy, and, and Darius is on the, you know the, the, the decline. And we think we think Alexander is going to be the you know the the person to go with going forward. So they sort of say, all right, yeah, we'll swear fealty to you, cool. And they you know rather than helping Darius and you know bogging Alexander down in Egypt, they allow him to rest and resupply his army and he's able to um he's able to he's able to very you know he's, he's able to recuperate you know he's been on campaign for like i mentioned he's been on campaign for quite a while at this point his army is tired they're stressed out it's it's a, you know they're in a they're in a foreign land and they're able to recuperate you know regain some numbers regain the morale and rega regain energy and this is when um just after the the uh, just after the, the the capture of uh, Tyre and and the Alexander's on on his way to Egypt, uh, this is when Darius sends the second letter, which, which is a lot less uh, confrontational than the first. Let's say uh, he concedes territory. In fact, he offers one of his daughters in marriage and asks for the return of of uh, you know some of the prisoners, including his including his wife. Um, and says, okay, 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 all right, we'll split it, you know, we, we, you know, we'll split it, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, you can have this territory, and I'll, I'll take whatever, I'll take what's, what I, what I have, and we'll sort of chill, uh, you know, sort of a peace. Suing for peace uh, is a, is a very important term here, but again, Alexander doesn't even respond. In fact, ignores it, ignores it, and this is key. Alexander's lack of a response to either of the, the two letters sent by Darius or Darius is so critical because. It is what fuels Darius to start raising another military force. You know, not only is it, does Darius feel like Alexander has, you know, sort of walked into his homeland and taken it, which he has, but also he feels disrespected as from one, you know, king to another. He feels disrespected by this. He feels as if his position is being, you know, not taken seriously. And of course, Ale of course, he's right. Alexander isn't taking him is his position seriously he takes him seriously as a military commander but not as a political figure shall we say he's sort of you know and um in fact after the third letter is sent um alexander does respond there's a third letter sent uh while alexander is um you know sort of resupplying in egypt and um and he's and he writes back saying there is only one king of persia uh as in that is himself. Uh, you know, Alexander will be the only king of Persia. Uh, uh, this is when Darius offers to split the empire in third. You know, he, he offers to completely split the empire 50-50 in the third, uh, in his third letter to, to Alexander. And Alexander finally responds and says, you know, there is only one king of Persia. This, this again, not a, not, you know, that's a tasty little statement from history there. That's, that's very... You know he's he's finally acknowledging that you know this is this is happening that D Darius is sending him these these letters of sort of trying to sort of reconcile the 
the kingdom and sort of trying trying to sue for peace and he basically says there will be no peace one of us is going to die uh you know either either i'm going to win or uh you know i'm basically one of there can there can be only one i don't know if you've, anyone has ever you know um read or seen the harry potter movies but it's kind of like you know, neither can live while the other survives, as in between Harry and Voldemort, there can be only one. That's kind of what this this felt like. This is reaching its climax. And, you know, Darius, um, Darius is now preparing openly for, for a military engagement with uh, another military engagement with the Macedonians here. Um, Again, after after settling things in Egypt, Alexander returned to Tyre and then crossed uh, the and then was like sort of preparing to cross the Euphrates River and continue his campaign um, the following year. Um, you know, Alexander was preparing to march on uh, on Babylon, which is part of the Persian Empire at the time. Um, and obviously, Darius knows this. That's where Alexander needs to go because that's where the rest of the empire is. It's kind of you know, kind of important, you know, there's where, you know, the cap Mesopotamia and Persia, the capitals, major cities are, and, you know, basically whoever holds those holds, uh, you know, whoever holds those, those, those holds the majority of the empire. Alexander's captured some major, major towns at this point, but those are the sort of the crown jewel, if you will. Uh, so Darius sets up his forces, um, across the Euphrates river, sort of, on a direct uh, route um, from from Egypt to Babylon, pretty much right along the the, the bank of the Euphrates, saying like, "All right, here's a direct route." Um, and Alexander does something different. And here, um, as I mentioned in the first episode uh, with Memnon of Rhodes, if you remember Memnon of Rhodes, kind of a legend, uh, he was very much involved in the Battle of the Granicus River and. Uh, when Alexander first invaded, he suggested Scorch Earth tactic, which would have worked, um, although the Persians turned him down. This time, Darius learns from his mistake, uh, where he says, uh, "Where you know, where he they didn't use Scorch Earth tactics before, but they do this time. But it's unfortunately for them, it's in the wrong place. You know, they think Alexander is going to take a straight route directly to Babylon to confront Darius, but in fact, Alexander realizing." that, um, you know, Darius, oh, where Darius is camped out, he realizes this and in fact takes a northern route, which is a longer route, but it would allow for his, um, it would allow for his army to collect, um, supplies and forage. And, you know, the towns there are sort of left relatively undefended because Darius thinks that Alexander is going to take a different route. So in fact, the northern route, um, you know, the, the northern route sort of threw, threw them for a loop. In fact, um, uh, Darius sent one of his um, trusted trusted generals, I believe the way to pronounce it is Mzeus. Uh So I believe it's Mzeus. I could be wrong on the pronunciation. And I apologize, by the way, if I get any of these pronunciations completely wrong, uh, that I'm not great at pronunciations. But he sends Mzeus to sort of slow Alexander down and it doesn't work. Uh, you know, Mazias kind of just retreats and then runs away and doesn't really do anything. And this sort of, and this, this is what alerts Alexander to where, um, to, to where the, the Persians have set up so that, 
he ta- so then he takes the north route, which throws the Persians off. Um, so if you know if we're analyzing the Persian strategy, it's actually a good strategy. Unfortunately, it just didn't work. You know, a lot of histor- uh, ancient historians give the Persians, uh, you know, a, a hard time for not harassing Alexander's army, but there wasn't much that they could do because they were sort of set up in a different spot, and they thought Alexander was going to go one way, and he ended up going another way. So, you know, initially when I was doing my research for this episode. I sort of, I was like, I was thinking, okay, where is, you know, why didn't, why didn't they, you know, do more to, you know, sort of use guerrilla warfare tactics, you know, set fire to the baggage train, you know, disrupt the supply lines, disrupt the, the chain of command, you know, disrupt the, the, you know, the travel and, and make the Persian or make the Macedonians, you know, put out a lot of guards and sort of tire them out, you know, before actually engaging in a full-on military engagement. But, you know, upon doing further research, it it was because they took, they were going to, or they may have done, uh, but unfortunately they took a different route. They took a northern route to Babylon and crossed the Euphrates at a different point, uh, crossed the Euphrates River at a different point, which sort of threw the, um, which threw the, the, uh, you know, Persians into, into like, you know, disarray because they didn't know where Alexander had was basically, they didn't know where he, they knew that he had gone North, but they didn't want to send their entire force North and, you know, get, uh, you know, into small groups because searching for him because then they could get picked off in smaller numbers. So they actually, um, you know, they didn't really, um, do, you know, do what they wanted. They would, they didn't, things didn't go the way they wanted for sure. Um, so, in fact, Darius, sort of once he learned that Alexander went north, he knew that he would be marching towards Babylon. Uh, and, in fact, he was very proactive. And, and, you know, there are a lot of historical sources that give sort of Darius and the Persians a bad uh, reputation and bad name, um, especially the end here in the Battle of Guagamela. But because, but, you know, I don't think that's necessarily true it's, or, or fair, to be honest. You know, he tried. He learned. He, he They did learn. You know, Persians learn but still lose. Um, you know, but they just, they really, really, really tried. They tried to do everything correctly. They tried to, you know, they had the greater numbers. They tried to sort of delay the battle. They, tr- they would have possibly harassed Alexander's army in, in that way. They would have possibly... Uh, you know, they would have possibly sort of done things differently and, and made things harder on, on the Macedonians' advance. Um, but, you know, it didn't really work. In fact, Darius, even with his ch- chosen location for battle, picked the perfect location for himself. Uh, you know, he chose an, a wide open plain near the town of Guagamela. Like, instead, so he didn't want to repeat what had happened at battle at the Battle of Issus, where they had been cramped in and, you know, Alexander's superior, uh, you know, the, the fact that Alexander had the smaller number in terms of force didn't really matter. Uh, whereas here, he wanted to be able to take advantage of his, uh, the Battle of Guagamela. He wanted to be able to take advantage of his superior numbers. And in fact, he, you know, by all intents and purposes, he did everything he could to try and win this battle. And unfortunately, he just lost. Um, up until a certain point, he did everything that he was supposed to do. Uh, in fact, you know, my personal opinion is like if things had gone differently for the Persians, if Pers- or if the things had gone slightly differently for the Persians, then the entire battle could have changed. And again, this is why I love history, because, you know, if 
Alexander doesn't take that northern route on a whim, pretty much on a whim, going, all right, well, mm, I'll take a northern route because I think it'll be better. You know, he, you know, sort of like, again, if he, if Alexander was, if things had gone slightly differently, then the Persians would have definitely uh, done a lot of damage to the Macedonian here at um, Guagamela, for sure. Um, again, so if we're going to the setup to the battle, you know, over the la last few days of September, Alexander sort of, you know, lumbering into place in, uh, you know, he's sort of moving, you know, campaigning and moving, moving towards where he knows the, uh, knows where the Persians are camped. Again, he, he captured a few Persian scouts, uh, at, at one point on his, on his campaign, on his route. So he knows where, roughly where they are. So he, again, he's coming down from the north, but by this point, the, uh, Persians know that Alexander's coming from the north. And they set up near the town of Guagamola, again, on that really wide open field. Um, and Darius has ordered all of the, um, you know, underbrush and trees and everything cleared from that field just to make it 100%, excuse me, 100% easier for his forces to just handle things. Um, you know, better for his superior numbers and his superior cavalry as well just making sure that they sort of have every advantage they could possibly have. He even sends, there's a, there's a hill, um, you know, about uh, a few a few kilometers from where the Persians are camped outside of the town of Guagamela. Um, and he sends uh, a detachment of cavalry under Mazaeus, uh, again, the guy who had fled Alexander previously, um, whose scouts had been captured and who had, you know, had conflict with Alexander previously, he sends him to go take this hill. Mazaeus takes the hill, and then when the when the Macedonians show up, they sort of, he sort of just flees. He just runs away. And again, this is what I'm talking about. Where this isn't Darius's fault that this battle didn't go to plan for him because you know had Mazaeus, you know, sort of not necessarily been able to hold off on the hill because it was a small hill that was easily defensible. It was a really good defensive position. If they'd been able to hold off on the hill, they could have, you know, sort of waylaid the Macedonian forces. They could have, you know, had the Macedonian forces taken an unadvantageous position. Mazaeus um, and I guess Darius as well didn't really see the hill as such a strategical advantage. Um, although personally, I think, you know, the high ground, very is is always important uh you know to quote obi-wan i have the high ground and he sort of wins in star wars there but the high ground in battles is so key because then you can it's such an easily defensible position um you know and it allows you to sort of see everything that's going on around you and you know if mazaeus hadn't vacated the hill the way he did at the start of the battle he would have he would have been able to sort of send parties down the hill, traveling at speed, especially with cavalry, down the hill, traveling at speed towards the Persian, uh, towards the Macedonian army. And they would have been able to, you know, harass them and then charge. But, and, the, and if the Macedonians wanted to take the hill, they would have had to, you know, charge up the hill against a fortified, against, you know, fortified defensive position, which, you know, if, if, you, if you know anything at all about military history, is that bad idea in a bad time you're just going to lose and basically you're just throwing human lives at the problem and it's not going to go anywhere um but at, unfortunately as it goes Mazaeus vacated the hill alexander takes the hill because he realizes hey this is very 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 important and you know because of this 
the, the, this this throws the Babylonian or the the uh, Persians into it, it, Persians who are in Babylon at this time into a very unfor- unfortunate sort of bad position. More so than just okay, well Alexander now has the high ground. They have to be ready for an attack at all times here, even though they have the superior numbers, even though they have, um, you know, even though they have like all of the advantages in terms of numbers and training and skill and everything, you know, they have to, they have to always be ready for battle. Um, and Alexander knows this. In fact, he, he learns from what happened at the battle of the Granicus river where they'd been marching all day and then charged up the river. And, you know, again, his horses were tired by that point. So it, it nearly cost them the battle. Whereas t- at, at the Battle of Guagamela, Alexander takes the hill, takes a few days, his army rests while the Persians are constantly on alert, they're constantly fighting, they're stressed out, they're, you know, everything's everything's going bad for them. They, you know, they're stressed out, they're an- like they're anxious, they don't know what's they don't know when a Macedonian attack is going to come, but they know that one is going to come. They don't know which side of the hill they're coming out of, but they, you know, it's it's a really bad time for them, even though they have the superior numbers. And Darius does a good job uh, of sort of using that numerical advantage, sort of resting his troops when he can. But still, there's this there's this uneasiness in the Persian camp created by the fact that Mazaeus vacated the hill and didn't put up a fight even uh, when, when taking that hill. So Alexander takes a few days and sort of rests his army. So everyone is just, you know, it's, Obviously, you're going into battle, so it's it's you know as light as you it can be, but it's very, it's you know it's a more relaxed time. In fact, uh, and he doesn't emerge until October first uh, of three thirty one BCE, where you know the uh, you know he, he's sort of deliberating with his uh, his um, generals the night before. Parmenian suggests a night attack. Alexander's like, no, no, we'll attack in the day. So they, all right, fine, we'll attack tomorrow morning. Give the, you know, give the troops a night of, and one more night of rest, and then we'll attack in the morning. Uh, and for just a second, I want to take a side note here and talk about Parmenian. Parmenian is sort of, in my opinion, at least throughout my study of history, has been overlooked a lot when discussing the, um, when discussing Alexander the Great. Parmenian, on his own, was one of the great generals of his time. He, you know, th- now three times in a military in in combat plus at th- at the sieges that we've previously mentioned, he holds his own against a superior force and somehow still ends up, you know, winning and he's always giving this this prudent advice at least throughout history. He's always suggesting good tactics to Alexander. Um regardless of whether or not Alexander takes his advice. And in fact, I feel like Parmenian has a little bit of an issue where he, you know, he, he's, his role is sort of capped off as like, okay, he's Alexander's second in command, yes, but he's also, you know, he's sort of, like, he's a great commander in his own right and probably would have defeated the per- the Persians as, on his own as well, uh, regardless of whether or not Alexander was even there. Anyway, that's just, a, you know, my... Uh, you know, Parmenian fanboy corner, but uh, again, back to what happens at the Battle of Guagamela. Um, so October 1st, the Persians have been deployed for battle since the night before, because of course they had to be, because they had been for days at this point, uh, on that out, knowing that Alexander's on that hill, Alexander sort of, you know, I don't know if this was done on purpose or if he's 
just, you know, like every other 20, you know, young person in their 20s and sometimes oversleeps. Uh, you know, trust me, I know as one, I sometimes do. Um, but he over, you know, he oversleeps and, you know, they appear, they set up for battle around noon on October 1st, 331. Um, and the way that they're sort they're, the way that they're set up is obviously Darius sets up with cavalry, his cavalry on the wings, uh, his infantry, including himself in directly in the center, um, directly in the Persian center with his immortals and Greek mercenaries and his heavy infantry and his light infantry are all there in the middle, which is traditional for the Persians and has served them well. And his cavalry on the wings and his, he actually had Indian chariots, uh, that, that had, uh, accompanied him you know I, I he had chariots that were there and he had like i mentioned earlier he had the ground around guagamela cleared so that it would be more advantageous for the uh, for the chariots uh to, to fight uh so it, they were set up in front of the infantry sort of screening them and offering mobile sort of support wherever needed so again he's deployed in a smart um you know smart sort of fashion his cavalry's on the wings he's in the center so he's got three commanders him uh, and then the two cavalry commanders including Mazaeus, who you know personally i'm not a huge fan of but that's just me uh apparently darius seemed to love this guy for some reason um but he put him in, in charge of the cavalry on one flank and uh he you know the, the other other flank and darius in the middle alexander sets up um in, in sort of a in a sort of a weird formation, uh, and before I get to that, I want to talk about just how drastically outnumbered the uh, the uh, Macedonians were. Again, they had about you know forty seven thousand, fifty thousand men, and the um, the Persians had close to a hundred thousand, if not over a hundred thousand men at this point. Uh, they had been they had the vastly superior force, and part of the reason that Darius chose this battlefield was because. He didn't want again, like I said, he didn't want this um, this uh, this force to um, be sort of bottlenecked down. He wanted to use his uh, superior numbers to his advantage and have as much of a wide open plane for them as possible. Again, good plan. Alexander um, sort of re realizes this and sets up in a very peculiar peculiar fashion here. He set up on an angle so that. Uh, and with his cavalry on the wings and his infantry in the center, his infantry was in two lines and his cavalry, uh, was staggered backwards. Uh, their units were staggered backwards on both sides to prevent them from being, uh, flanked or encircled. Uh, and then they were reinforced with a, a little bit of infantry on the side. Um, sort of, so that Alexander's right flank, uh, the, the Macedonian right was facing the Persian center. So his cavalry was charging directly, if they were to charge, would charge directly into the Persian infantry, uh, again, down a hill. So this is, again, so they'd be able to gain, gain that momentum. Um, the battle kicked off with, um, with D Darius sending his chariots forward, sending those, char sending those chariots forward to sort of harass the, the Macedonian uh, the Sarissa Phalanx, which was directly the center of Alexander's line. That really extremely disciplined, amazing phalanx that we've discussed previously, right there in the center. Chariots would have been good, would have been good to harass them, especially if, you know, especially because they had, you know, javelins and ranged weapons, but 
and other ranged weapons, but, you know, Alexander orders them to split so that the chariots raid, ride into the Macedonian ranks and then are swallowed up by the Macedonians. Again, Darius ordering the chariots to charge or to, to advance, probably a good move. You know, you've got the superior mobility, use it against a, you know, solid mass of humanity. You've got ranged weapons, use them. Smart move. Alexander counters with an even smarter move. And this is where we, this battle, the Battle of Guagamela, for me, is where you really see Alexander's sort of reputation as a tactician sort of skyrocket. Because before he was good and, you know, his army were good and, you know, things sort of went in his favor occasionally on the battlefield, especially at Grand, the Granicus River. But here, everything is against him except for this hill, except for the fact that he had this hill and he still sort of comes out with really, really smart uh, ways of handling things. Um, so again, so those chariots are swallowed up. So they're basically neutralized and, 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 and dealt with relatively quickly. And then Darius orders his cavalry to charge. Um, and he, tra they charge Parminian on that, on the uh, Macedonian left, um, and Parminian's overwhelmed and forced to give ground but he still holds they're giving some ground but he's still holding so they don't completely cave and they're not overrun uh and then um again alexander began moving his line to the right he was always shifting his line right so um again darius counters by moving his uh cavalry over to the left to again in sort of try and encircle them. Again, smart tactic, you know, kind of a decent move. Sort of very, all right, he's he's thinking. He's, you know, he's, he's you know, it's punch-counterpunch here. And this actually leaves his center open. Unfortunately, Darius then launches his cavalry forward. So both flanks are now engaged with cavalry but not all of alexander's cavalry have shifted to that you know to that uh, macedonian right flank so some of his cavalry um are engaged and they're going to be overwhelmed they're going to be slightly overwhelmed again alexander's uh, i don't know if, if his ex what his exact plan was going into this battle but at the moment alexander's some of alexander's cavalry on both sides of the battle so both the the Macedonian left and Macedonian right are going to be overwhelmed at this point. Uh, so not good, but he, this, this is something that I believe he planned for based on the, what he does next. Next thing that he did was he aimed, like I said, he'd aimed his, his sort sort of this center right of his army directly, uh, at the, or sorry, he aimed the right flank of his army pretty much directly at the um, the Persian center. And once Darius left his center undefended with any sort of mobile unit other than his infantry, Alexander charged. And this is where he won the battle. Darius sort of overconfidently thought, I can overrun them with cavalry and we can outflank them and we can crush them and sort of encircle them. Uh, which again, good plan, but he, he does it impulsively. He orders the cavalry to charge. He, it's an impulsive s single moment where he goes, I'm going to make a decision and we're going to win. And he thinks he has an opportunity to win. And he, he, but if he's just a little bit more patient, he probably would have won. But in this case, 
Alexander has planned for this and immediately charges with his companion cavalry. So him himself, he charges and smashes into the Persian center and lays waste to it and genuinely, uh, completely like destroys it. Uh, and like basically wipes them out and, um, Darius is again forced to flee. Uh, unfortunately, he's again forced to flee. Alexander pursues him for a bit, but then his discipline holds, and they sort of, he realizes, okay, I've got to get back to, um, I've got to get back to Parminian, and then he comes back and, and circles back and saves Parminian. And what had happened was Alexander had planned for the gap in his forces between, you know, that, that little bit of cavalry that was cut off, when on on his right flank when he was when when the, the cavalry was engaged on the right and the center there was a gap between the infantry at the center and the cavalry on the right and Darius thought he could exploit this right he, he impulsively thought okay I'm gonna charge I can exploit this and it didn't work um, Alexander had planned for this and, and in fact ended up engaging uh, Darius's forces and completely overwhelming them and this whole battle again, is so critical because this really cemented Alexander as the, you know, the, the, the king of Persia. You know, he, now he had, with, with the defeat here at the Guagamela, I know Darius technically escapes, so the war was not over, but Alexander had complete control over most of the Persian Empire, including the city of Persia and also uh, the city of Mesopotamia, Mesopotamia as well, and he 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 controlled all of the major parts of the empire. But at this point, and his reputation had again grown. Right, the the biggest thing for Alexander, and we'll see going forward with the rest of this season, not just uh, against the Persians, but um, but throughout all of his military campaigns, was his reputation as a commander. And again, it grew here because his tactical ability to completely basically annihilate a, a force almost double his own size was like never almost never before seen for at least not um for the persians for sure for some for an army as well trained as the persians it was so critical that that he had things sort of um that the, the way that he ended up winning that like the way he won was just as important as that he won um his tactical ability here was so crucial and so like the fact that he was the, the fact that um he, he was able to win this battle in the way that he won it was proof that he was a masterful tactician and there was this sort of era or aura of invincibility around him now this we will not be defeated we cannot be defeated and we will win you know this this complete morale boost for his troops and the crushing defeat again for the for the virgins like i mentioned uh, last week at the battle of issus this is this, this is only the second time issus being the first where the persians have lost a battle where their king has been present and now it's two in a row where their king is present they've lost and it's such a big deal now it's it's crucial that you know and they've lost crucial parts of their empire most of the per, uh, you know most of the empire is now under macedonian control and their king is forced to flee in shame again so again it's extremely you know damaging for the morale anyway that's the battle of guagamela and again it was 
again, it's extremely important for Alexander's, um, you know, tactics and his, and and his again his this this reputation, and also he's able to capture a ton of Persian territory and control most of the empire. And I just want to sort of again point out how important the little things were in this battle. Alexander paid attention. You know, when he was going through the siege at Tyre, uh, or Tyre, he, he focused on, you know, resupplying. He took the northern route to Babylon, to this battle, because he knew that it would be easier for his, his army to resupply. He paid attention to the logistics of running a massive campaign like this, and it paid off for him, right? He took that extra few days to rest in before the, you know, once he'd taken the hill before the battle, keeping the Persians on edge so they were constantly stressed out, constantly on edge, constantly awaiting combat that they didn't know when it was going to come. Everything that he did here was pure masterclass. This is Alexander's masterclass is really the Battle of Guagamela. It is, it, so far at least in his campaign against the Persians, it was the single biggest, like, masterstroke of his of his career up to this point uh it was probably it it secured his it secured territory for him that that you know otherwise he would definitely have not been able to to sustain even if they had they had been able to defeat the defeat the persians anyway thank you all for listening again uh and i've been your host andrew and thank you very much for listening to the this episode of navigating history podcast Bye for now.